Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast. In this episode, Intel makes us excited about overclocking through the Z270. Core i7 on the high, Core i3 on the bottom. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McCain. Dennis, earlier this month, you published, I believe, your first review on the Z270X chipset, the Gigabyte Aorus. Uh, it's actually the Aorus. It's the, the new brand from Gigabyte where all of their gaming peripherals, video cards, keyboards, mice, motherboards, are all going to be under this Aorus name. Yeah, it's not going to be the G1 anymore or the Super Overclock. It's going to be Aorus. Okay, so Gaming 5 sounds like it's right in line with my gaming motherboard. So, of course, I'm curious as to whether or not it's worth looking at this new chipset as a potential upgrade. So let's talk about the Z270X chipset and what's new about it. Okay, well, obviously, we have a new chipset that goes along with a new processor. So we have Cabby Lake. The flagship would be the Core i7-770K. That's the overclocker's chip. It runs kind of in line with the 6700K from Skylake. Okay. When Skylake got released, we have the 170 chipset. Cabby Lake, we have the 270. The major difference between the two is four extra PCI Express lanes in the Southbridge. Okay, so that's a pretty short list there. What does the extra PCI Express lanes buy us? We can get basically more peripherals. A lot of the motherboard manufacturers are adding an extra M.2 slot or they are doing a dedicated U.2 socket. Well, I have to say that I am a bit intrigued by that because if I had to point to one limitation of my gaming motherboard, it would be that I only have a single M.2 slot. Mm -hmm. But I have to admit that having a second M.2 sounds really appealing, but, you know, what does it buy us really? I mean, can we raid these things? Can we, I mean, what is it? What are we doing? Are we just getting away from physical hard drives here? Yeah, we're well, as you know, because in your system, you have an M.2. You have one of the nice Samsung 950 drives. Yes. Very fast, very awesome. By adding a second slot, we have the option of using a longer one. So you can have the two terabyte drives. Nice. Because they have the, the longer allowance on some of the boards, and some of them have the shorter ones. So you have two that you can pick from. Right. In the big picture, you're just getting a second drive. Right now, there isn't a way, although I've, there's a rumor, but there isn't really a way to raid them together. So you can't make uh-huh. one big drive out of the two unless you do it in software, which means you need to also have like a SATA drive as your boot drive, and then you have this one software rated together or something okay, like that. Okay, I can see that that's maybe not a very mature technology yet. No, and the whole reason for that is because M.2 interfaces directly with the PCI Express bus. Whereas SATA, which allows for rating and whatnot, it has its own controller. So we have the SATA controller that interfaces the drive directly. That controller interfaces the PCI Express bus. We've just removed that controller with the M.2 drive. So we have you know, our SSD controller, which is on a separate board all by itself. So there's no way to physically link those two. Well, coming back to your review, I have to tell you that this is a beautiful motherboard. Beautiful. It's white and black. I like white and black. I've often been intrigued by that. And longtime listeners will know that one of my dream builds is a black and white UV reactive water-cooled system. So mm, mm, maybe we can something do something to like think that. about there as we're yeah. talking about new builds for, for 2017. Yeah. So the new RS branding, which was pioneered with the X99 Design Air EX. Now, that's a, that's a beautiful motherboard. Yeah, it has white coverings on all of the heat sinks, uh, the metal reinforcements on the PCI Express and the memory sockets, and also some 
RGB lighting here and there. Subtle, yeah. But all of that was carried over into the new RS branding and will be on all of the gaming motherboards. Well, I know that's not the only Z270 motherboard that you've had a chance to work with because I'm looking at a really beautiful motherboard. Yeah, this one actually came in the post today as of the time of us recording. Ooh, cutting edge. Now, this one's just barely into the lab, still has the plastic on the seats, if you know what I mean. But what are we looking at here? This is the Z270 Classified K from EVGA. Somehow this looks very familiar to me, Dennis. It, um, well, it should, although it's, there's a few subtle differences. With the Z170 Skylake processor, we had also the Classified, but we had two of them. We had an original Classified following the EVGA model where it had a PLX chip and allowing four-way SLI. Nice. They re-released it by taking the PLX chip off and then adding a Killer Networks controller to it. This 270 board has the the K addition to it. So we have the Killer Networks controller, no PLX chip, and um, basically just two-way SLI support, which, you know, based off of the NVIDIA neutering of Pascal, we can link only two cards together. Yeah, 99.9% of the world is not going to need a third anyway. No, no. Although, what would you use that third one for? M.2 drives? Maybe PhysX card if you really are over the top? Yeah, but even that's kind of past its prime. We've talked a little bit about this already. The the uh, the hardware is definitely driving the software right now. But what's really jumping out at me is you made the comment about the M.2 drives, mm-hmm. and this one has three M.2 sockets. We have the super long one. I think it's the 180 millimeter version of the drive. It has a, a certain key number, which is listed on the board. And then we have a shorter one, which is down toward the bottom of the board. And then we have the little dinky drive off to the side. And I want to say that that one is more for like uh, wireless cards and stuff oh, like that. Oh, yeah, accessories. And that makes sense because it's kind of separated from the rest of the PCB. And the key MM2, I believe, is what I have on my motherboard, my uh, beautiful Samsung drive. So this is what we're talking about as the potential for possibly rating them. No, no. The raid rumor came from MSI. Oh. And that was really a CES comment that was done in passing, and I didn't quiz them on it too much. However, they said that they had some software, some trickery to allow you to raid two M.2 drives together. Ooh. And I'm assuming that unless they have a controller that is in between the drives, you know, to be in between the PCI Express, it's done in the UEFI. So there might be some secret sauce in there or something. Well, I don't want to spoil your review for this motherboard since it just came in today, other than to tell you that if you look at the Z170 motherboard, you'll at least kind of have an idea of where that's going because there is a lot of similarity to it. Mm -hmm. Although I do notice this one has a little bit more cooling. So I'll leave you with that. (laughs) It is very, very pretty board. It is indeed. But I want to go back a little bit to talk Cabby Lake because we haven't really addressed what is Cabby Lake and why you might be interested in this processor. Now, in particular, as an overclocker and a casual upgrader these days, I tend to not be interested in processors when they first come out because they're at a price premium. And also, like most folks, I tend to not immediately upgrade every generation. In the big picture, Cabby Lake is a refresh of Skylake sitting on an improved 14 nanometer process that Intel calls the, what, 14 nanometer plus or something like that. All right. That sounds like marketing, but I'll take it. They also upgraded the onboard video, which is something that we could really care less about. 
Yay, onboard video. Well, I guess if you're going to be a laptop user, there might be some appeal there. And it's supposed to be better for video decoding and stuff like that. You know, the the 2D stuff, which is what onboard or video is really designed for. So if you're into platform games, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Let's face it. uh, You know, most folks, especially that are our primary enthusiast crowd, are not going to be using that. You'll be looking at discrete video also. Yeah, like the two-card option on the EVGA card. Exactly, exactly. So let's let's go back to Cab- Cabby Lake. Is, a, is it a tick or a talk or how is that working these days? You know, the Intel got rid of that TikTok sort of thing because they wanted to not stop or something. <laughs> um, but they, they wanted to change the way that they were incrementing their process. So these they're doing like process improvements or something like that now. Okay. It has a term and I forget it because it's really not that important as much as it used to be where we had this TikToks where we had one major processor and then we had the improved version and then we actually had a new processor, but it really wasn't any different sort of thing. So, Well, the good side of that is it seems to be providing us with a faster development cycle, which means that we're seeing the processors sooner than we used to. And it is allowing them to re-release chipsets at a faster rate so that we can get more motherboards, which is making me happy. Also allows us to add more connectivity to the motherboards, which I think is really the big win here. Although if you are an overclocker like myself, you might really like Cabby Lake because we're seeing a lot of reports of like 7 gigahertz under LN2. Nice. Now 7 gigahertz, that is an impressive number. Let's just go to our favorite site, HardwareBot, or HWBot, as they like to call it. All right. And right now we have a CPU frequency record. I'm not going to say world record because they get, I don't know, they freak out about that sometimes. But we have a 7.3 gigahertz. Holy cow. Which is from Slams. He's a Russian overclocker. We can't really trust the CPU-Z screenshot here, but it says 1.2 volts, which I kind of don't believe seems a little low but we're also running one core one thread so we disabled everything but one core and hyper threading whoa 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 hold on now i've done a lot of overclocking in my time but i'm pretty sure that you didn't tell me that cabby lake was a single core single threaded processor uh it's not it's not it's a four core hyper threaded so we have a total of eight threads with this cpu however When you are overclocking and doing this edge style, we want to go as fast as possible. One of those cores is always better than the other, which is not Sesame Street at all. (laughs) So you go through and you test each one of those cores and then enable the fastest one. A lot of times it's actually core number or core zero, which is the very first one. So you go through and you disable all the other ones. That removes a voltage dependency, which is maybe why it's at 1.2 volts. Oh, okay. I see the connection. Yeah, we don't have a need as much power in there to run all the cores at a certain speed. So it makes it more efficient. It also makes it not so heat dependent. So it makes it colder. And in this case, it makes it stable to run a lot faster. Okay. So now that's new to me. We are not just binning chips anymore. Now we're binning cores. cores. Yeah. Well, the binning of the cores has always been something that overclockers have done. However, a lot of the overclocking that we've seen in the past three or four years has always been not so much the CPU, but the CPU in relation to the video card. So we're doing like 3D style benchmarks, but we need to have a fast CPU. Well, for that, we also need a lot of cores, a lot of threads. Perfect. Okay. So, well, I'm kind of intrigued. What's the build look like? What did we make this impressive 7.3? 
Okay, well, eight. Oh my gosh, almost seven point four. Flams did this under liquid helium. Wow. He probably was talking really high when he got done with that one. <laughs> and he was also using the Asus Maximus Nine Apex, which is a motherboard that I saw at CES. I must say, amazing looking board. Oh my god. I really like what Asus is doing with the ROG brand these days. Seems like it's a very stylish, full featured board, but it still is clearly performing at the top of the heap, mm-hmm. which is what we learned to expect from Asus's ROG brand. The one thing I liked about the Apex was that it didn't have square sides. And this is something I talked about when I was um, with TechGage on their video. The edges actually kind of cut in a little bit to give it a little bit of a slim figure, so to speak. <laughs> nice. It's really kind of cool. Um, it's a way different take than you would normally expect because you know the whole reason that the boards are square is so that they can break out of the larger PCB cleanly makes sense so you may be paying a little bit extra for that what else we got to look at here because I'm, I'm impressed all right so we have uh, another score here we have dan cop with his super pi 32 m run he's got the cabby lake run on liquid nitrogen at seven gigahertz still pretty impressive and he's running the maximus 9 apex motherboard again nice. See a theme there right and i'm gonna pull up the screenshot really quick we have two cores, two threads, which is optimal for running SuperPi. Right. The impressive part is that he's running 4,200 megahertz DDR4 with a Northbridge frequency of almost 6,500 megahertz. Which is very impressive. And shout out, because that is G-Skill memory from the F4 series, which is one of my personal favorites, what I run. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely fantastic memory from G-Skill. Yeah, definitely some good stuff. So let's see. Let's go look at another score here. Um W prime. This is a really tough one. So we got 1024, one minute, 31 seconds. Let's look at the score really quick. So this is smoke. Also another famous overclocker. He's running more liquid nitrogen. Very impressive. 6.8 gigahertz on the cabby Lake and running the Maximus nine apex. I'm seeing a theme here with the Asus motherboards. Wow. I have to tell you, if I were to buy one today, I would definitely give that one a second look because it's clear that it's what the pros are finding success with. Mm-hmm, exactly. Now, of course, I should point out that the Z270, of course, is a very new chipset. So as the boards mature and the, the high-end motherboards from other companies like the Classified come out, we'll start to see some variation. But right now, congratulations, Asus. Obviously, these scores that we've kind of talked about on the podcast, they will probably change by the time this gets posted because I'm looking over at the W Prime scores the past ones we have smoke dan cop extreme addict slams all at one minute 31 seconds you know that's four scores that are almost identical to each other and i went and clicked through and they're all using the apex board so these will change yeah i definitely as i'm looking at even the top 10 i'm recognizing lots of names there so we're seeing what you'd expect the pros are coming out they're getting some great hardware and they're setting some solid benchmarks that we'll see maturation on as we move forward so let's talk a little more Cabby Lake. I know we talked about the TikTok in this cycle, but it really can't just be about video, can it? Well, it, okay, so if we look at the processor itself, uh, let's look back at the 6700K Skylake. Sure. It's a 4 gigahertz processor, 4 cores, hyper-threads for 8 threads. Mm-hmm. We look at the Cabby Lake, we have the 7700K. It's a 4.2 gigahertz processor, so we're getting an extra 200 megahertz out of it. And I've heard that quoted before, that the only difference in speed is 
2.2 gigahertz. Yeah. 200 megahertz difference. Now, but, if you look at the turbos, though, we have an extra... Um, Cabby Lake goes up to 4.5 gigahertz, whereas Sky Lake only went up to 4.2. And that's an interesting thing to state. So to clarify, Sky Lake's turbo score is where Cabby Lake begins. Yes. So it isn't really 200 megahertz. It's 200 megahertz plus the turbo. So we have an extra five. Well, and that's a much bigger difference. But even still, when you think about that, that means that we are starting with a default clock of 4.2, 4.5 turbo. That makes those 7K plus numbers a lot more impressive because we're talking about almost double the clock speed. I would say the, the pinnacle of any CPU is when you can overclock it twice the speed. I mean, it's kind of like taking your Lamborghini out and going twice the speed limit, right? Yeah. You know, that's the that's the point where you know that you have a good chip. It's at the point where you actually kind of start having fun with overclocking again. Right. You know, what might actually get me back into doing LN2 because... Skylake was kind of meh. Haswell, I'd kind of taken Haswell as far as I could. And it really wasn't that impressive in terms of base clock versus overclock. Seeing 7 gigahertz is really kind of... Yeah, it's even got me a little bit excited about it, which brings me back to kind of where we started, and that is the upgrade path on this. Video cards... In the past, we've always said, well, you can probably skip a generation mm-hmm. and be okay. So if you have a 970, for example, you probably don't need a 1070 and can wait for the next generation. Right. In processors, it's not always that clear. But looking at the price difference between these, at least today when we're pretty close to MSRP, I'm only seeing a 10 or $20 difference between these two, which is pretty darn close. Yeah, we're looking at Newegg right now. The Skylake Core i7 is at $340. The Cabby Lake is at $350. So 10 bucks, and obviously you might pay a little bit more because the motherboards are fairly new, but that's a pretty small amount. So Oh, and the biggest part there is that you don't have to have a Z270 to run Cabby Lake. You could run it on a 170. All you need is a BIOS flash. In oh. fact, the first 7 gigahertz score that got published out on the web, and this was actually before the, the launch of Cabby Lake, was on a Z170 motherboard. It was wow. an Ace Rock, I believe. So, yeah, you might already have a motherboard that supports this. But speaking from a price-to-performance standpoint, which is where I like to be when I do my upgrades, and we've talked quite a bit about that, because for most of us, that's what we're doing, is we're making a price-versus-performance decision. The difference between Skylake and Cabby Lake are we back to that 200 megahertz? Really? Yeah, it's kind of, I'm going to say it's incremental. If you're running Haswell, I would say Cabby Lake is going to be a good upgrade for you if you're jonesing for an upgrade. If you have Skylake right now, not so much. Performance-wise, I mean, 4 gigahertz to 4.2, that's not really a big of a jump, I would say. Unless you are like me and had the Core i5 because the Core i7 version of Skylake wasn't available for like the first six months. Right. It was completely sold out. So a lot of people went with the Core i5. If you have that, then it's an easy upgrade to a Core i7, in which case you already have the motherboard, flash the BIOS before you put the processor on there, buy the new Cabby Lake, boom, you're ready to go. Well, and price-wise, I have to say that really 350 bucks is kind of right in the center of where Intel pricing is. I mean, there's no price gouging going on here. It's not exactly in the same realm as like the Broadwell E's and the high-performance processors, but it doesn't have to be. 
No, definitely doesn't have to be. So what would you say is the target market for the Cabby Lake? Is not obviously the casual upgrader. Is it the overclocker? I would say partially the overclocker. Um, I'm interested in Cabby Lake primarily because of the 7 gigahertz. So it's going to be a fun processor to overclock, whereas some of the previous ones, not so much. That, for me, is the main reason that I want to go towards it. If you're not an overclocker, then it might not be that tasty. However, I am seeing a lot of reports of people getting 5.2 gigahertz with a good all-in-one water cooler. In fact, MSI has a guaranteed, quote-unquote, their guarantee, right? (laughs) If you have a water cooler, there's a setting in the BIOS that will allow you to run 5.2 gigahertz. And it will just test your processor, make sure it runs, and then boot it. Like the old button on the motherboard for the 4.2? Yep. Turbo Uh, button. Turbo button. So it sounds like uh, more to come. So I would encourage you to check out those articles and the links to that motherboard review. And look forward to the Z270 Classified K review. And we'll see if we can get just a little more performance out of that Cabby Lake here at the lab. In our last segment, we talked quite a bit about the Z270 chipset and Cabby Lake and the incredible 7K plus speeds. But Dennis... 7K. 7, seven, uh, seven gigs. 7 gigs, which is insanity. And that and that's just at the get-go. I mean, I can only imagine where they are when they mature. But, but I digress because that's not the only new processor that overclockers are getting excited about. No, no, no. Shortly after the launch of Cabby Lake, Intel kind of dropped a bomb saying they were going to release... A K series in the as a Core i three, and that that's just crazy because immediately I'm like, why? Yeah, and I want to say in a previous podcast we were talking about this, saying, well, we have a Core i five K series, and we have a Core i seven K series. Why don't we have a Core i three K series when we have the Pentium Anniversary Edition? Oh, that's right. So because that got released during the Haswell Devils Canyon launch. So for listeners out there, let's refresh our memory. What was the Anniversary Edition processor? Okay, so Anniversary Edition was like Intel's something-something anniversary. But what they did is they released an unlocked dual-core Pentium-esque processor. It it had a Pentium name on it, so it had no hyper-threading, no big cache on it, but it was unlocked, just like a K-series. So you could spend, you know, whatever multiplier you want in there. Weren't they like under 100 bucks? Yeah, they were like $80. Yeah, exactly. It's like 80 bucks each. You could buy like five or six of them, overclock the snot out of them, and you don't care if you blow them up because you have like four other ones to play with. You can also bend them. There was a lot of hardware bot competitions that were centered around just the anniversary edition instead of the high-end Core i7 Haswells. Well, that's definitely attractive. Now, I see that this i3 is carrying the Cabby Lake dual core mm-hmm. and the impressive, which we were talking about earlier, clock speed of 4.2 gigahertz default, which... Certainly sounds impressive. Uh, well, the Core i3 is basically an unloved segment. Um, <laughs> well, it's most that, of us consider it a bargain processor, an entry-level processor, not worthy. No, not worthy. Well, okay, so when somebody's trying to build a budget gaming rig and they want to run Intel, they don't want to spend a lot of money on a processor. So obviously they're not going to spend 250 on a Core i5 or 350 on a Core i7. So they start looking at Core i3. That's in the range of like 110, 150, 160-ish range. Well, you do make a valid point because 
I've been quoted on this podcast before as saying, if you're going to upgrade, you want to get a current generation processor. And if your budget can't afford it, you get the lowest level of the current, but you always want to be in the current generation when you upgrade. Right, exactly. And if you go low, then when you get some cash, then you can go high. Well, assuming, of course, the socket's compatible. Yeah, and in this case, the socket is compatible. However, people didn't want to go below Core i3. So when the Pentium Anniversary Edition came out, they saw, well, this is a toy processor. Nobody's going to use it for anything because it's just dual core. It doesn't have hyper-threading. Core i3 adds hyper-threading, and now they've added the K-Edition, which has really confused a lot of, I'd say, mainstream media, <laughs> the the YouTube channels, blah, blah, blah. What um, is it? Yeah. yeah. Why, why did they release it? Is it a good gaming chip? Is it a replacement for blah? Why should you buy it? Everybody has it wrong. Core i3 was never a good gaming chip. No. I mean, it, it doesn't have enough... It has enough clock speed, but it doesn't have enough memory. It doesn't have enough of what you need to have a good gaming experience. I agree. I always felt like the i3s were destined to go into laptops, and that was really where they were going to head. Or Yeah, you laptops know, or, or office. level office machines, right? Yeah. Now, the other thing I see about this processor is Intel HD Graphics 630. So, well, you know, for an onboard, not bad. Yeah, that's well, that's the Cabby Lake onboard. So you have the same video uh, power that you have in the Core i7, Core i5, in the Core i3. So, so what is that? Roughly the equivalent of a of a what a seven series or? I I don't really know for sure, but it's yeah. it's two D graphics. It, it, they say you can play games on it, but no, probably not. And I'm also intrigued that it supports both DDR and DDR3L support, so you got a little more flexibility in your build. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something that Skylake introduced as well. The DDR3L is like a low power crappy version of memory or something. Well, that kind of points us back again to uh, the laptop segment. Yes, exactly. So the purpose of this chip, and I want to say that it's purely for this reason. The Pentium Anniversary Edition was extremely popular. People bought the thing left and right because it was something to play with. It was a toy, and it was priced as a toy. However, it didn't have any legs to the point where you could do anything more than just play with it. So now we have the Core i3-7350K, Cabby Lake, that's unlocked. Now we finally have something with hyper-threading that we can play with. So we have hyper-threading that we can also disable to overclock under LN2. We have an unlock multiplier so that we can start trying to hit those 7 gigahertz numbers. This processor is not a gaming chip at all. It's a play chip. It's a toy chip. It's an overclocker's chip. And at $190, it might be an expensive overclocker's chip, but you can buy two of these for the price of a Core i7-770K. I definitely see the appeal there, and I'm kind of, I think, looking forward to seeing, like you say, just kind of what we can get out of these things. Liquid nitrogen, a good setup. Yeah, liquid helium. Liquid helium, as we've seen. Yeah, Seven plus a very possibility on a two hundred dollar processor. I have to admit. Yeah, I mean the it's base very appealing. Yeah, the base clock on this is four point two gigahertz. Most of the Cabby Lake CPUs under water cooling will hit five gigahertz easy, and they started at four point two gigahertz. So chances are this one will be able to hit five right out of the box. You might be able to get five two with some voltage adjustments and maybe a DIY water loop. Liquid nitrogen, obviously, sky's the limit. You can, of course, delit it to go and change the thermal compound to make it a little bit better in terms of thermals. There's a lot of options here, and it's 
priced in such a way that it's not going to matter. Well, I like it. And I have to admit that the potential of maybe building a discrete 1070, for example, and a decent set of RAM on this would mean that, you know, you could coax a little gaming out of it and it would kind of be that, uh, you know, slow cruiser during the week, hardcore overclocker on the weekend without breaking the budget. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2017. Thanks for listening.